Ko tēnei te moe moe ya. Ko tēnei te fafai. This is the dream. This is the struggle. E ngā iwi o te motu, kia koutou nō tāwā, hi nō mai ki tēnei hōtaka a te ahikā. Ko Justin Murray aho, I'm Justin Murray. And I'm Maraia Rakraku, and yes, you're back with Te Ahikā, but not for long. Just one more show, whānau mā, and that's us for the year. Coming up. With the National Party making deals with United Future and Act parties to secure a majority in the House, where does it leave Māori? I always want to try and figure out what the Crown is going to do next, and the Crown in practice, of course, is the government in power at the time. And I'm really concerned um, for our people in the next three years. I think some of the specific policies of the Crown, such as their welfare policies, their education policies, are potentially damaging for our people. We join Moana Jackson, who gives us his take on what's in store in the next three years and why is it so many of us didn't vote. A day doesn't go by when we're not confronted with a natural disaster of some kind in the world. Earthquake hits anyone? And while theories abound as to why, the world population is too large, placing pressure on the resources, it can seem daunting. I mean, it's the world. What can little old me do? Well, that's not how a crew who gathered in Waioho last month sees it. We're pushing that energy that we took from the um, sky directly down into Papatūānuku and into Mother Nature and healing Mother Nature. When we're doing the air and the ooh is to colour your mind with the colour of your fire. And then when you colour your ngāko and your mind with your colour, and then when you give it to Papatūānuku, give it. Give that colour to Papa Tūnuku. Yes, that's me trying to be all <laughs> Louis Thoreau at the Healers Conference in Waioho. Koe ranga kaupapa kōrero mo te haura e heke mai nei. That's what's coming up this hour in Te Ahika. <laughs> te Ahika, Radio New Zealand National. Social media. Hands up who doesn't know what that means. Okay, maybe there's a few of you unfamiliar with the phrasing. How about Twitter, Facebook, or that dinosaur Bebo, Justine? <laughs> it's a dinosaur, right? <laughs> well, ways of getting information is about as varied as fashion and as easy and as frustrating as your internet connection. And it's when something hits the headlines that social media comes into its own and seems to kick conventional media like newspapers to the curb. Yet there are times when media overall gets a good workout, like this year with the Rugby World Cup. In the election, that well, as expected, went into overdrive. What with the long, drawn-out cup of tea slash Epsom saga, debates in the Māori electorates, and which party policies were favourable to Māori? Our next guest is Dr Judy McGregor, who works as the Equal Employment Opportunities Commissioner for the Human Rights Commission. Prior to that, her career spanned 20 years as print journalist and editor, so of course her corridor to a panel discussion at the 25th year anniversary of the Waiariki Polytechnic Journalism course was always going to be interesting. Introducing her is journalist and mate, Ana Tapiata. Our next um, panellist is Judy McGregor from Takahui Tikatangata, the Human Rights Commission. And stories about her, she could freeze men in their boots when she was the editor of Truth. <laughs> 
Thank you, Judy. Kira Tato, the truth of the matter is that I was editor of Sunday News, um, um, and I bis bitterly resent. Well, I just want you to know that Truth once described me as a pinko, so the re that's the reason why I'm announcing that I wasn't editor of Truth. I wanted to pay tribute to Malcolm Murchie, uh, who is here, I know, somewhere. Malcolm, thank you, because we wouldn't be here without you. And to the uncle of journalism in New Zealand, whether it's Māori or Pākehā, Gary Wilson. Gary um, has the ability to make everyone's moral outrage index at least 10 points higher at any given time. And just to pick up Gary's rugby analogy this morning, I want to take it a little bit further because I'm going to make some comments about the mainstream print media, not broadcast media, because that's what I know best. And I think that it's not a game of two halves for the mainstream print media. I think we're in injury time, and I think we've been there for a while. And the reason why I think we're in injury time with the mainstream media's attention to Māori issues as opposed to Māori journalism per se, in 1992, I did a piece of research that included interviewing 92 Māori journalists, which was almost 98% of all Māori journalists at that time in 1992. And I also interviewed all of the news, Pākehā news executives in New Zealand. This, of course, was pre-Māori uh, television and pre-iwi station development and pre-mana Māori media. Now, the messages that came back out of that research are very similar to the situation today. So all of the 92 Māori journalists interviewed at that time wanted separate Māori media development. They didn't see any future in trying to work through mainstream print at the time. All of the news executives came back with very similar feedback and it was simply that they had had absolutely no contact with Māori and couldn't anticipate that they were likely to in their daily lives. And I would suggest to you today that if I was to continue that, if I was to do, ask those same questions again, I probably get very similar answers. So this is what I think, why I think that the mainstream print media is still in injury time and not even moved to the second half of the game. First of all, the number of Māori in mainstream print media. Uh, in 2006, Fairfax intern scheme had three of 17 young people taken into that intern scheme were Māori. In 2010, of the nine taken in, there was one Māori. The seniority of Māori in mainstream print media remains almost invisible if it exists at all. Their coverage and news commitment to things Māori is deplorable from where I sit as a human rights commissioner, with the result that Pākehā exposure to an understanding of Māori probably remains where it was when I was doing that research almost 20 years ago. And if that sounds too negative, I agree we should be celebrating our successes, but we should also be honestly acknowledging, I think, the deficiencies as well. Um, I wanted to make a few comments about some of the other questions. So what would I suggest should be done? And I'm interested to hear two prominent Māori broadcasting executives talk about the absence of graduates that have got both the RAO and what they've described as basic craft skills. And I wanted to make a comment about that. 
I personally think it's the responsibility of media organisations, including the major Māori broadcasters, to actually be more proactive about matching those skills. Um, it, one of the great things about Gary's courses when we first ran them uh, in Rotorua, the booster courses and the early, um, the early Waiheke courses here, was that Gary would actually spot people, and they may have been mature people, uh, so they may not just have been school leavers, but mature people had Rayo who he thought could have journalism as well, journalism skills as well. So I think it is behoven on anyone in the media industry not to say we haven't received applications, but I would challenge um, everyone to say, how, what are you doing about proactively searching to fill the void? So that was the first thing. Se secondly, I just wanted to make a comment about the digital age, because as a um, newspaper reader now and as a former newspaper editor, I don't want just basic craft skills. I want quality journalists. I want quality journalism. And I think the problem with the digital age, it's lure, it's very seductive. Anyone can be a journalist. Anyone can be a commentator. Anyone can twit. Anyone can like. Anyone can tweet. And anyone can be a twit. The problem is that not everyone can be a quality journalist. And I think the great benefits of Wairiki and the challenge for all the students that are in the audience today is that at the end of the day, the essence of good journalism comes down to something more than basic craft skills. It comes down to quality journalism. And just um, to get within my uh, six minutes, I want to just tell a story about the very early days um, of, of the course, the Wairiki course here. Um, we would come and we would live in a, a strange little motel called the Havana, which was opposite Queen Elizabeth Pools, and we would spend a hell of a lot of time playing touch rugby. But in that course, there was some fabulous and fantastic talent, and I want to end by paying tribute to the Wahini Toa that are here today, because there hasn't been much mention of the woman in Māori journalism up until now but some of the talent that came through Wairiki in its early days and from those booster courses is still a main, mainstay of Māori journalism, and I can refer to people like Wena Harawera, Annie Tapeatis here. I saw Damien Rikihana before. All of these names are strong women in Māori journalism who've been a mainstay. And in conclusion, I want to thank Vanessa and Craig for this hui, because it's hard work organising a hui, it's hard work getting everyone here in time, getting them back from morning tea. You're exhausted by the end of it. Can I tell you that when I first saw Vanessa at Wairiki, I knew she was someone I wanted in my newsroom. She was an exceptional talent. So it comes as no surprise to me that 25 years later, she's still serving us all well. Thank you very much indeed for having me. Kia ora, Junie McGregor, a journalist and former editor of the Sunday News, who was part of a panel discussion at this year's 25th Waiariki Polytechnic Journalism course held in Rotorua. And a few good points made in that kōrero. And yes, a shout out to all our wahine Māori journalists. To listen to it again, head to radioNZ.co.nz forward slash teahika, that's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A. And speaking of social media, you can find us on Facebook too. Tell us what you're doing for your Christmas break, whānau ma, or email us about the show, tiahikai at radionz.co.nz. It's our last show for the year next week, so make it quick, eh?
Translating cultural practices into mainstream logic is difficult. Sometimes it's just a case of being present, observing and trying your best. Rugby Sports and Cultural Club. This has been set up like a whare. There is a tangihana over at the marae, so everybody shift to camp over here. Uh, there would be probably maybe close to a hundred people here. Marvi Parker. Predominantly Wahine. Morning, Fano. Morning, <laughs> People have separated into groups and they're standing in circles, spread around a field, holding hands, and the groups are split into are of the elements, which is determined by your birth date. Uh, no, three things to have a quick chat about. Um, the first thing is about ha um, structurally how we'll engage with the other groups. Um, the second thing is about the um, coral. Um, and then the third thing is an actual practice through the whole thing itself. Um, for the structure of the group, there will probably be two options. The first one is that all of these groups just do their own thing. Um, all at the same time, but in different parts of the field or something like that. So that's the first one. The second one, which would have been quite a preferable option, was for um, this ring to set itself up right outside the, all of the groups while they're doing their thing. The other group in the middle, though, and so on and so forth, until they had the motor stone right in the middle. I'm hoping that's, that will, that's how it will go. But taking that structure, then we won't be able to link hands, and we would have to space ourselves up nice and evenly right around the whole field. But we're all confident Leos and Aries and Sagittarius and that sort of thing and in that, in that particular structure as a circle we're all really really unified and thinking about ourselves in the place of this whole equation and giving it um, um, and empowering the whole um, 
event here and straight into that Maori stone in order to heal Papa Tsaunuku. That's the first thing. Have you got any comments about that? No? Oh, it's always those breaths that us good, eh? Um, then the second part is the coral, which was the waiata that Fire Rose had created. And we were going to specifically use the air and the oo. So in the coral bit, draw our hands up into the air like a phoenix. Yeah, because that had come through quite a lot um, while we were talking as well. By saying that particular vowel air, we are drawing in the power of the heavens and then um, bringing it into ourselves and then taking those wings down into the ground and then by using that um, vowel oo, we're pushing that energy that we took from the um, sky directly down into Papa Tūnuku and into Mother Nature and healing Mother Nature. When we're doing the air and the oo is to colour your mind with the colour of your fire and then when you colour your ngāko and your mind with your colour and then when you give it to Papa Tūnuku, give it, give that colour to Papa Tūnuku. Give it to Papa Tūnuku. We all are rainbow here, and so the colours are important, eh? And you'll vibrate at that colour. Ka pai tērā, whakaaro. Mauri ora. The group that I'm standing in is fire. The plan is to say in unison, ah, and o. group is standing in a circle holding their hands up to the sky and as they bring their hands down and place palm side down upon the whenua they're saying ooh So the healers um, are about to start a healing ceremony and so they've given an opportunity for those who have come and who want to be healed to step in, um, into the middle of a circle. So what we're doing is we're standing outside near the rugby field yeah. at the back of the par, Waioho. Yeah. Everybody's kind of standing in a, in a circle. In a circle, yeah. Um, we're just, um, at the, but at the moment we're just sussing out how many actually need healing and then um, the healers will come to the outside and form a, um, a unified circle around the outside. And now normally it would have taken place um, on the marae atea, but because there's a tangihanga going on now, um, it's been moved to the back. Um, we've um, fortified the area so that it um, raises the resonance. Um, what did you mean by fortified, resonance. David? Um, I'm talking with David Jones. Yeah, we've got... Um, oh, Ikari, we need to jump somewhere. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Awkward march. <laughs> Gosh, 
I need to go ask for this. Okay, so um, would you like to tell me, Bindi, what's happening here? We are in the middle of a circle, and there are people behind us in a circle holding hands. Uh, basically a healing of the great stone that came from the South Island uh, to heal its people and the land, give energy to all here and that of the universe and the peoples of the nation. And all the just join your hands together. Could you describe what's happening, Rita? Um, we're just organising this, um, the healing for our tūroro and all our healers are getting into the circle and then once we do the mahi here for the tūroro then we're going to um, uh, take the initiation of the, the mauri of the kōhatsu okay? and these people here that are around on the outside they're going to um, uh, send energy to them to get healing for these people here and then once we finish that we're going to take it down to Papatsionuku. So these are all people who are self-identifying as needing some healing? They've identified it themselves that they need it. Firewaves is going to begin the ritual encounter first and then I'll go second. And after my ritual encounter has complete, uh, then I can offer to any other one who wants to do some karakia on our fano here. Apoi? Apoi, marama? All clear? Quickly! 100% That's pretty amazing actually. There are people surrounding. Now, can we take two steps forward, please? Another two. Just to make the energy stronger, please. Come in, Golly. Come in the centre. Quickly, 11 o'clock.
During the karakia, women have been quietly moving around the group and dabbing mud on cheeks and foreheads. First, to those in the middle, and then those holding hands in the circle around them. The overall feeling is of love.
as your own sings. They're actually moving around, holding hands. Now, information about that hui is available at our website. You know where it's at, radionz.co.nz forward slash ahika. In this year's election, National was voted in to lead the next government term. So, what does this mean for Māori? Justin caught up with Moana Jackson, who provided this brief analysis. Kia ora, Moana Jackson. Kia ora. How do you think the next three years will be for Māori? I spent some time looking at the different party policies because I I always want to try and figure out what the Crown is going to do next and the Crown in practice of course is the government in power at the time and I'm really concerned um, for our people in the next three years I think some of the specific policies of the Crown such as their welfare policies their education policies are potentially damaging for our people. Um, I think there will be a really difficult time because of the welfare policies for all people who are poor, who are dispossessed, who do not have work and so on, and that is disproportionately our people. Um, I'm worried about the whole proposal to uh, sell off assets um, because I think it's important that our people remember that when the Labour government first proposed selling off assets in the 1980s, the concern of our people was first that the Crown should not get rid of land, for example, that might be subject to a tribunal claim, because once it was sold off, um, then it would be beyond the reach of iwi to whom it belonged through the claims process. But they were also concerned, secondly, that the Crown did not have the authority just to flog off something that um, originally and forever belonged to our people. Um, And I think it's timely that in this current discussion of these issues, 20-odd years later, 
that we remember the stand our people took in the 80s and the issue remains the same and it doesn't matter whether it was a proposal in the 1980s to sell off some land or a proposal now to sell off an energy company the issue is, is still the same the energy company still draws its water from rivers which belong to us um, and if that's flogged off to an overseas interest um, then that limits the ability of our people to truly be kaitiaki and I think that original and very proud stand really in the 1980s has tended to be forgotten um, in the mad rush to either sell off assets so that you might get a share of the monetary action or in, in the mad rush simply to oppose it on the grounds that they belong to all New Zealanders um, when in actual fact of course they belong to our iwi and hapu. I then asked Moana why voting turnout was so poor this year and whether or not Māori have become disillusioned. Well, I, I think there are two answers to that. First, um, we need to bear in mind that this was the lowest turnout in any election um, across the board and that the turnout in the Māori electorates was even lower than it normally is. And that, that doesn't indicate to me just apathy. I think a lot of people made a deliberate decision not to vote, um, partly in protest at the way that parliamentary system operates, but also because I think many people thought it was a foregone conclusion that National would win, and so simply thought it would be a waste of time to vote. Um, so I, I think if the National Government starts talking about the mandate it has, um, it's actually a very limited mandate came from less than 65% of the people and even less percent of Māori people and um, I think that's worth bearing in mind in the next little while as well. I, 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 some people don't vote because they are apathetic or lazy but often I believe it's actually a political statement not to vote. It can be a conscious decision and I think that was the case in many situations this time. How do you see our Māori um, politicians over the next three years and what they can, they and how they will um, contribute to the well-being of Māori or the improvement of Māori? Well, how how they will respond is, is inevitably term, determined by the place within which they're having to respond, and, and Parliament is a place controlled by somebody else, and. The best I ever think of asking Māori MPs, and many of them are whanaunga and good friends, um, but the best I ask is that, at the very least, um, remember the Hippocratic Oath that doctors have to take, do no harm, that don't allow anything to happen which will harm our people. Um, and so often whatever a Māori politician can do is not so much something that positively advances our people, although that can occur on some occasions, but more often it is to prevent harm being done. And if they are able to do that in some situations, um, then that is often the best that they can do. Aira, do no harm. Koera te kōrero tūturuneha. Kia ora Moana Jackson, and he'll be back in our first show in 2012. Na mihi kia koe, Moana.
cry. As we round up Takikar this year, that's our second to last show you're hearing right now, we'd like to take some time out to mention Māori who have died this year, but during their life helped to shape the Māori, or the Māori world. In tonight's show, we'll mention a few of them. Katerina Mataira, he wahini tūturu ki te reo Māori, he kaituhi reo Māori a Katerina, ko Ngāti Parau tōna iwi. Katerina Mataira, a founder of the Kohanga Reo Movement and later in setting up Kurakaupapa Māori. Fatsu Moana Paki, the husband of Kahurangi named Te Atairangi Kahu, ko Tainui Te Iwi, ko Tainui Te Waka. Nō Ngāti Kuri Asana Murray, yeah. a weaver from Ngāti Kuri in the far north, the last original claimant of the Y262 claim. Nō Ngāti Kahununu a Megan Joe, he wahine tō ki te hāpai i nga kaupapa Māori. She was the president of the Māori Women's Welfare League. Sir Paul Reeves, nō te Atiawa, who was appointed as the first Māori Governor-General from 1985 to 1990. And Dame Fetu Tirikātene Sullivan, nō Naitahu. She was 79 when she died in July of this year. Dame Fetu was a Labour MP from 1967 to 1996. Aida, and in this next court it all went back in 1978 with Fetu Tirikātene Sullivan. Takaparafo, Bastion Point, ended after 506 days. We hear about the political frustrations felt by Māori in the early stages of settling ways of managing Māori land grievances. And welcome again to Tipunawai Kōrero. The Bastion Point issue has probably brought to the fore again the question of Māori land and the political and tribal unrest that has plagued Māoridom since first contact with the European races. Today, Janice Applin talks to Fetu Tirikātene Sullivan about the Māori land question. Well, this week the events at Bastion Point have highlighted the whole problem of Māori land. Do you think these sort of situations are going to crop up in other parts of New Zealand where Māori land has been taken for government and for private use? Yes. One very good example is the vast tract of land, a good forest land now, that was taken by one clause in a 1966 act introduced by the late Mr Hannan. It was deemed to be crown land in that one clause. Of course, I would say that most of these sorts of uh, frustrations were have been attended to, uh, particularly during the first and second Labour governments. Uh, the third one also uh, did a lot, and we established a Treaty of Waitangi Tribunal to examine any act, regulation, order in council, policy or practice adopted by the Crown and claimed to be inconsistent with the principles of the treaty. That act has been in force. This government has established a commission and I see that the President of the Māori Council, Graham Latimer, is wanting it to have retrospective rights of inquiry uh, inevitably there will be more. But I must say that Bastion Point, to me, is symptomatic of a far deeper psychosocial frustration. Uh, and the fact that there are younger people articulating up there is typical of the frustration of the more articulate young Māori. 
A generation ago, three quarters of our people lived in the country. Over the past 25 years, the situation has completely reversed, so you've had the trauma of an uprooting from a traditional area. But the frustration is seen, really, in the immense and growing disparities between the socioeconomic levels of Māori and Pākehā, where we find that even in 1975, and it's increased since then, 70% of Māori school leavers had no educational qualifications whatsoever, or 91% of all Māoris in the workforce have no formal qualifications whatsoever. These are... um, these, um, these facts and the combination of them and the fact that Māori people work mainly in the lowest earning sections of the workforce have really um, propelled the younger Māori, and remember that um, 60% of our people are under 20, so it's heavily weighted in the youth age groups, propel them to look at land and we're an agriculturally dependent economy. That's why our EEC entry is so important. They're looking at land, realising that they're in the lowest strata of society and that land, which is the most fundamental asset of this country, is no longer within their, within their range. So they're trying to recapture that which could be rightfully theirs. Do you think that by improving other conditions for the uh, Māoris, then that the, the land problem would in fact pale into insignificance, in fact Definitely. die right out? Definitely. It would probably never die right out. But um, my, the point I'm making is that frustration over Māori land is frustration because of the uh, lack of appreciable improvement in the social and economic levels of the Māori, especially when you flash back to a century ago when Māori people were the first exporters, the first agriculturalists, horticulturalists, and owned all the New Zealand shipping, paid more taxes than any other group in this community and dominated commerce. Uh, the young Māori is learning this. Then looking at the situation today where there is very little land left and uh, trying to recapture what they can validly, or they believe they can validly claim to be rightfully theirs. I would like to see all Māori land used as an asset for a springboard leap to change the situation and take Māori people into the decade of 2000s, when we get to that century, any other new century, uh, so that the land can be... Uh, not only a, a, a repository of the spiritually important self-identification that Māoris collectively uh, realise land is or feel land is, but also a basis to uh, project into increased and improved social and economic levels. So you see, it's not just land and the fact that there's almost none left to Māori people by virtue of many facts, valid and invalid, sales, uh, exchanges, confiscations and acts of parliament such as the one I referred to. But it's a frustration of being the hewers and wood and carriers of water in this land of which they were the original tangata whenua. Well, you talk about using the land as a springboard to actually forward the Māori's cause. What, in what practical way could the land be used to do that, the Māori land? Yes, I'll give you one very good simple example. In 1946, 
um, my father and predecessor was successful in getting his government to pay compensation to the South Island Māori people for land that had been uh, the subject of unjust government uh, administration a hundred years before. The money that was compensated, paid out in compensation, was held by a trust, the result of which hundreds and hundreds of Māori school children in the Ngaitahu tribe have been educated through to degrees um, or trained in skills that brings that particular group more or less on par with the New Zealand average. Now, you know, that's how it can be retained. It can have its spiritual significance. It can have be the source of a sense of identity uh, with uh, one's Tūranga Waiwai foothold in this country. And uh, also it can retain the Tangata Whenua status, the original settlement status of Māori people, but it can also bring them right up to date in this century and project them so that they are equal in achievement and attainment with the non-Māori majority of New Zealand in the next. So in the end, one has to remove inferiority complex, and that is really the source of all these frustrations. Can we just go back to the present day at the moment, though? And certainly there are conflicting ideas coming through in the Bastion Point situation about how to tackle, how to get the land back, you know, radicals oh. suggesting direct action, uh, the others suggesting working through the mm. courts. Now, what do you think Māori MPs can and should do to help solve this sort of problem? Clearly, our realm is to have it analysed and scrutinised in Parliament. Um, I um, prefer myself scrutiny to be as thorough as possible, to be as widely known as possible, and then for a reassessment of the situation. Um, we cannot opt out of the constitutional process and solve anything outside of the law. That is disruptive. I have a, an understanding for them. I believe, uh, however, until the facts are brought to light quite clearly and indisputably, it cannot be judged uh, with any uh, clarity. There cannot be a, a clear judgment on it and not enough people have all the facts available to them. It is our role to bring them. I would encourage them to petition Parliament and I would implore Parliament to deal with it expeditiously. Well, uh, Fetu Tirikatene Sullivan recorded in 1978. Now, if you'd like to listen to that again, or anything actually, you can do so at our webpage, radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Te Ahika. Anita Amwana Jackson with this week's Whakatauki. Sana Murray wrote quite early in her life a, a book called Te Karanga Te Kotuku. Um, which was actually published by another one of the claimants, Tamapuata. And it's really just a record of her struggles and the struggles of her people to protect their land and so on. And so it's filled with letters to Crown agencies and so on. And it's a very moving piece of history. And as part of that, um, she says it at one point, Kotenei te te that this is the dream, but this is also the struggle. And um, that, that I think has been the history of the claim, and I'm sure it will be the history of whatever follows from the claim as well. 
O erua aku maunga i te tahu takupāpā ko hekurangi te maunga, ko waiapu taua ko Ngāti Protiwi, i te tahu takufaia ko kahurana ki te maunga, ko Ngāti Pōporo te hapu, ko Ngāti Kahunganu Tiwi. Kia ora moana. And from last week's Māori Sports Awards, a big congratulations to all the winners and go Piri Wepue, <laughs> who won the Albi Prime Memorial Māori Sports Person of the Year and Senior Māori Sportsman. That's right. Everybody calm the beep down. Piri's on it. Join us next week, Fano Ma. It's our last show. So, yep, we're bringing you some of our favourite stories we've covered in the past, as well as an interview with Cornerstone Roots. He mihi tēnei ki ngā kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. Atui tērā ki ngā kai rā wiki wiki mihini, nā mihi. Hoki mai hei tērā wiki. Mai te whānau a te ahi kā, kia tata katoa. Mauri ora.